I hope to see more cross-sector collaboration and partnership. So seeing government work with industry, work with economic development, work with entrepreneurs, work with schools, to me, we'll get to a society that we need faster if we see that type of collaboration. Welcome to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into the before and after some of the world's most effective transformation processes. I'm your host, Paul French. The American education system has been in need of transformation for decades. There are myriad reasons, but there's no question that today's schools need an overhaul if we have any hope to set our youth up for success down the road. As the head of JFF Labs, Christina Francis is acutely aware of the problems with today's system and what needs to change in order to create a better future for young people. Today, we sit down and talk about the systemic problems that hold us back and how JFF Labs is helping to move the needle in a positive direction. Well, Christina, thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks, Paul. I'm glad to be here. So you've got a background in STEM. You spent over a decade at a huge integrator doing program and product management and things like that, internal collaboration. How did that background bring you to this point? It's really interesting because that wasn't my initial plan, uh, but uh, it worked out really well. So I actually grew up in a family of educators. My grandfather was an elementary school principal for 40 years. Uh, my grandmother opened several schools. And so I've always had him, and they raised me. And so I've always had in the background, you know, an affinity towards education and transformation of, um, of education. It just so happened that when I, like, as you mentioned, when I graduated from college, it was the height of the dot-com and my first employer actually upskilled me. And so I went into software development started off as an individual contributor building enterprise systems for federal agencies. And after 20 years doing that, I um, you know, had, a, had a team that worked across DOD. Uh, but then in 2016, I left to start my own women-owned small business. Did that for about four years. I became an angel investor in parallel and started really working with women entrepreneurs, women in tech, um, particularly Black women, And I saw disparities just in terms of uh, entrepreneurship, disparities in terms of women in tech. And I think it was right at the the onset of COVID, an executive recruiter reached out to me about jobs for the future. And unfortunately, I had never heard of jobs for the future. So as I started doing my research, I was like, this is a very interesting nonprofit. But at the time, uh, I wasn't looking for a job. So I sent the recruiter five or six names of other people who could do the job and then I just kept looking at the description uh, and the recruiter called me back and said, hey, you should really throw your uh, name in the hat. And I said, you know, I'm going to. And so I did. And I'm so glad I stuck with the process. I can't imagine a better divine assignment in my life. I think we've all had those things where you just you just don't quite know. What was it about it that, that made you think it was the right path? I think the type of job that this is as executive director, I wear multiple hats. Um, So Jobs for the Future itself, nonprofit, has been around for nearly 40 years. And JFF Labs, which is a subsidiary of JFF, will be four years old in April. So it's a new division within JFF. And it was started by Maria Flynn really to accelerate JFF's ability to transform workforce and education. And so the areas that we focus on are, uh, we have a data team that's really focused on increasing data maturity across workforce boards and, and universities and corporations. I did that in my past. We have a $20 million impact investment fund 
I've been an investor, something very close and dear to my heart. We innovate. We work with innovators and entrepreneurs who are bringing new models and technologies to market. I've done that in the past. And then we have advisory and consulting. So I felt that it was just kismet, all the different areas of my life coming together at one in an area that to me is a life assignment and life mission. It's interesting, you know, we talk mostly on on this show about transformation. How how does the change impact whether that's business model or or company or or teams, things like that. And you're looking at a world talking about coming from uh educators. I have a similar sort of thing in my background. It's just not moving fast enough, right? You look at, you know, traditional public education, you look at traditional markets that are being served by those. Now we live in a world where all the world's information is in every kid's pocket or in most kids' pockets, but we still teach the same way, largely. How are, how are you guys looking at you know, how you can impact from, from day one? If education is everything that's going to get us to where we want to be, how, how do we take it all the way back to step one and completely reinvent the way we teach kids all the way through? That's exactly our mission. So our mission is really to we care about the individual's ability to discover and access opportunities, you know, for entering the workforce as well as identifying jobs. It's interesting because I believe our mission is more important now than ever. I think job openings right now, 20 year high. We have such transition going on in almost every sector. Uh, and we have to look at how we're bridging the traditional systems with new relationships, new innovation practices, new models. Uh, And so one of the areas that we're really doubling down on is career and education navigation. And so that's really how do we help uh, youth and adults find finance and flourish in the education system Um, that requires us to take a look at what we're calling multiple pathways. And so making sure that there are different on ramps to education, not everyone is college bound and education and, and, and degrees are not the great equalizer anymore. There are a number of opportunities for youth and students to enter the workforce, whether it's an, through an apprenticeship, through a boot camp, through work-based learning. We are bringing all different models to bear to help students on-ramp into what I'd like to call whatever their genius is. And that's, I think, exactly the right way to think about it on the supply side. How does the demand side change? Since the bias is for most employers that, um, you know, you have your entry level, it doesn't require a degree, but at some point in time, you got to cross that Rubicon or else you're not really considered. It's really interesting to see employer behavior change right now. That's actually one area that JFF and particularly uh, my team is working on. Uh, It's working with Fortune 1000 companies to look at how they're acquiring talent, how they're upskilling talent, and how they're advancing talent. And that can look like a number of of ways. One, it's looking at uh, diversifying the pipeline of talent. So not everyone, again, is going to come from uh, a college background. You may get someone who's former military or someone who has gone to an alternative pathway. And so I think one change is the mindset change that we have lots of talented individuals out here. How do we identify them? How do we connect individuals to jobs? And actually, one of the areas that we are working on right now is learner and employment records. And so these are digital records of learning and work that can be linked to an individual and combined with other records. So for those folks that don't have a traditional college transcript, here's a, you know, their their LinkedIn record that says, here's how you can trust that I have what you need to be successful, something like that. Exactly. You know, there's, I think, over 967,000 credentials out there. And 
over half of them are from non-academic providers. And so one of the things that we want to do, and we want to work with employers who are now focused on skills-based hiring. I think that's a great shift right now for employers to look at their talent and see what skills they have and competencies, bring them in, and then also couple that with the opportunity to upskill them while they are an employee. So it seemed with the great resignation and I mean, my own company, finding the right people to put in the right seats to do the right things, now is the time to, to, to make that pivot. I believe so. And, and I think more now than ever, employees are interested in doing something new and challenging themselves. It's just a great opportunity for transformation on both the supply side and the demand side. When you think about the supply side of that, where you want to have people be available regardless of whatever skills they have. On the other side, you have employers saying, I want to help. I want to make college available uh, because there's still this underlying feeling that at some point in time, you need a college degree like Walmart and Starbucks are providing that type of thing today. Do you think that th- that they're going to, while they say, I want to meet you where you are, they're still going to say, hey, I made Arizona State available to you. You really ought to take advantage of this because the percentage of the people that take advantage of it is still pretty small, isn't it? It is small, but it's it's growing. And it's interesting. You'll start seeing like the two U's and edX's of the world providing micro-credentialing and micro-bachelor's programs. We're starting to see a lot more employers embrace this and actually make it as part of their tuition reimbursement for employees to to upskill or to complete their degrees. Many uh, employees have actually done some part of college, but they may not have finished for whatever reason, for financial reasons, for life uh, changes. And so we're now starting to see the adoption of some of these micro-credentialing and micro-bachelor's programs. I, I believe in uh, what we're seeing that that's going to continue to grow, particularly in fields that have talent deficits right now. What are some of those? Hospitality, manufacturing, law enforcement, skilled trades, healthcare. We're starting to see lots of those industries really looking differently at how they're attracting, acquiring, advancing talent. How much is the impact of, you know, we've, we, we saw with COVID, a huge divide created by the lack of broadband and the lack of systems available to support underserved communities. Is this going to continue to exacerbate that or is this a way to try and close that? You know, I, I, I hate always say, to answer it this way. I think it's both. You know, I think there are going to be some communities that we will see acceleration as we start to put broadband into rural areas and areas that haven't had it. And then I think we're also going to see some areas where they're, we're not moving fast enough and the divide's going to get deeper. One of the areas that we are working on now is post-secondary, kind of a post-secondary market innovation because we're experiencing unprecedented disruption in the relationship between learning institutions, the relationship between technology companies, you know, the impact on how we learn, where we live, where we work, and as you just mentioned, broadband. And so what we're looking at is a post-pandemic marketplace of displaced employees and learners Uh, We're also looking at the racial injustices and systemic barriers that have been put in place and identifying where technology advancements such as AI or machine learning or blockchain can actually help uh, increase learning opportunities and training opportunities and, and skill advancement overall. 
So if that's the case, what, what is the role of higher education? How do they have to change? You look at a like a Purdue that's made massive investments in, in, in online, and both, both to try to expand their market overseas, but also to try and extend that into the places you, in your second F, right, the financing side of things. What are the leading higher education groups going to do in order to kind of meet that direction? Yeah, actually, it's interesting that you bring up Purdue. Uh, I was just talking about them the other day. So one area that we're seeing adoption in, and obviously regulation is not quite caught up, but the income share agreements. And so providing students uh, alternative ways of financing their education so they can actually take courses. And once they obtain a, a paying job, then they pay back the income share agreement. And so that small but significant addition to the toolkit that Purdue has provided has allowed them to attract new learners. And that's just one example. And do you think that, that, that they will see, I mean, Mitch Daniels obviously is, is fairly innovative given his background. Do you think that you're going to see more of those or, or what will be the role in, in the micro-credentialing side of things? I mean, are you going to see them decide to try and encroach on where community colleges are and things like that? Or will the strata of the different education providers continue to solidify? Oh, wow. I think the next two years, we're going to see all of the above. I do believe that if universities and community college systems aren't innovating or collaborating, whether they're, they're you know, identifying a regional strategy or partnering with a 2U or Coursera, I, you know, I think we're going to see some, some universities continuing to see declines in their enrollment. Students are looking for a differentiated experience, right? You know, the return on investment for college is being questioned. And part of that is because of the experience and the flexibility and optionality that universities are able to provide the students. And so I absolutely believe that we're going to start seeing more collaboration, more trial of new models like the micro-credentialing and, and bachelor's program. And it would seem that would be a place for large, you know, public school districts to, to take the lead, right? To be able to provide, I mean, back in uh, years and years and years ago, you, you would have vocational education. There were entire high schools that were devoted to vocational education. That's kind of gone away with a traditional track that you have to have a college degree in order to be successful. Does it revert or do, does, does some huge public school system say, you know, we're going to recognize this and take the lead and, and work with the higher education partners? It's, it's that uh, creating that first step. How does that happen? It has to be strategic and there has to be, a, I think, a regional strategy around this. So one, one initiative that we are a partner in is the Skill Up Coalition, where they help workers find free and low-cost career and training resources so that they can get back to work very quickly. That is an on-ramp for many universities to partner with coalitions like that. And that coalition is starting to identify jobs, specific open jobs and skills needed specifically for regions. And so I, I, I anticipate that we're going to start seeing more public systems identifying what makes sense for the region, what jobs are open and available now, and then projecting and anticipating the jobs of the future that will, will come to, to that region. And that obviously goes hand in hand with the, the technology evolution when you start thinking about, you mentioned blockchain and AI mm -hmm. in a different context earlier, but as that translates in particular regions, you have the same issues, right? Exactly, exactly. I mean, the other, the other area that we're starting to see a lot more traction is immersive technologies and those creating new opportunities for 
companies and institutions to identify uh, training opportunities for people uh, and simulating training environments for people as well. So obviously my background is more on the technology side, so that's super interesting to me. How have we done in terms of making the promise of STEM come to life? We're starting to see a lot more employers partnering with, again, regions and local economies. For example, Micron has a semiconductor camp that they've started for for children. And so a lot of employers are starting to, to try and get to STEM and new skills earlier in students' careers. So, um, you know, starting as early as middle school and going forward. So I anticipate that we're going to start seeing a lot more uh, employers engage earlier on and following students through their careers, identifying more internships, again, and work-based learning opportunities as students are advancing and deciding what they want to do with their career. We've seen also just on the immersive learning opportunities, several different companies coming into the forefront. And there's one, Florio, for example, that harnesses the power of virtual reality to offer education and supplementary methods for uh, students on the autism spectrum. And they're learning social and communication skills. And so we're starting to see the, the marrying of hard skills like the semiconductor, also with social and communication skills that are needed for jobs of the future. Micron's a good example. What should other companies that maybe don't have that mature view of their own pipeline or, or their own capabilities that are required, what should they do to, in order to kind of put themselves on this path? One is partnering. Right now, to me, um, to, to scale and to meet the needs that all employers have, it's, you know, employers should identify others that they can collaborate with to partner, to identify common training opportunities to potentially defray costs by going together and then identifying partnerships with schools and universities uh, so that they can increase the talent pipelines uh, and diversify the talent pipelines that they're looking at. What's the role of the government? <laughs> Very good question. So outside of policy and regulation, I actually think government has the opportunity to really help with research and development by providing I think Build Back Better uh, is, a, is a, a good step. You know, unfortunately, that budget was cut, but I do believe the funding that's set aside can help uh, regions and help uh, institutions and help industry in general identify and, and begin to test and pilot new models and solutions. And then in, in some cases, I think government needs to step step back a little bit and let industry try and uh, come up with new solutions. Neither of which has been easy for no. generations, right? Neither, neither has been easy. But, you yeah. know, I think it's a time, it's an all hands on deck moment. And so, you know, I hope to see more cross-sector collaboration and partnerships. So seeing government work with industry, work with economic development, work with entrepreneurs, work with schools, to me, we'll get to a society that we need faster if we see that type of collaboration. Well, that's like the perfect ending thing, but I have a lot more questions, so we're not going to end on that. So put your investor hat on. So mm -hmm. now that you're, you're looking at the landscape of this, where are the places that have the biggest chance for investor-level returns as you look at the landscape of, of education and, and the transition to uh, a more integrated role with higher education and with uh, employers? You know, the ed fintech, I'm making that kind of term up now, the intersection there's a lot of intersection points with companies. We have 
an electric vehicle company that also has a workforce component. I think companies like that are exactly what we need to double down in right now um, as we're looking at new jobs of the future and how we can actually create new workforce training opportunities. Immersive technology is an area to double down in, financial inclusion, financial literacy. And then the other big area is wraparound support. We're looking at you know mentor social capital solutions. We're looking at childcare solutions. We're looking at Again, all the wraparound support and services that will support individuals as they are trying to upskill or uh, you know, move into new jobs. You use the word wraparound almost like it was um, it, uh, kind of a nice to have. But in some cases, the support and services that are there are the linchpins, right? If you don't have childcare and you're working full time to, to pay for your kids or, or, or the case, um, how are you going to get that? additional education? How are you going to do that extra skills training or, or get a bachelor's degree or, or whatever? Exactly. And and that's exactly why we're, we're doubling down. I mean, the other areas are around health. So we're looking at the social determinants of, of work and what do people need to be successful? They need to be healthy. That's mental and physical health. They need to feel uh, secure. It's making sure that their family, spouse, children, parents are okay. They need transportation. And so we're looking at all areas that support the individual on their path to employment and career. And so in five years, if you're able to make a big dent, what do you hope happens? In five years, I hope that we create more optionality for individuals where no matter where they are in life, they can choose education or career pathways that make sense for them, where they can finance where they can match their skills and desire to open jobs. I see a future where people truly live in their genius. I see entrepreneurship as a career pathway where more people are able to start companies, get access to capital, identify new customers and scale. Sounds like a good place to be. I hope so. I hope so. So you've been very generous with your time. I typically end with this question. When you, at the end of a long day and you've, you know, you're made an impact on changing the world, what kind of music do you like to listen to? Meditation. (laughs) 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 I love meditation music. So, but one of my favorite songs right now that I play is Live Like You Were Dying, Tim McGraw. And that is my go-to song. Well, hopefully your day is full of skydiving and bull riding then. Yes. And I really appreciate your time and I wish you all the best. Same, same here, Paul. Thank you so much. Huge thanks to Christina for joining us today with some eye-opening insights on the world of education. And here are a few that really stuck out to me. First, I love how Christina and her team are doubling down on career and education navigation by bringing together a number of different models to help people find their genius. We need to find new ways of looking at career and education pathways so we can ultimately diversify talent pipelines across industries. Second, with almost a million possible credentials out there and over half focused on areas other than traditional education programs, our society needs a mindset change about what we accept as qualifications. We must broaden the scope of acceptable qualifications to include a variety of different skills training programs that often aren't a traditional college education. Third, today we're seeing more employers take a new approach towards hiring talent retention and training. 
Christina mentioned that especially in industries with talent deficits like hospitality and law enforcement, employers are getting creative with new programs like micro-credentialing. And fourth, students are looking for a differentiated experience today and questioning the return they might get on an investment from attending a traditional college. If colleges don't continue to innovate and meet the demands of the youth in the workforce, they will see a decline in enrollment in the future. Thanks for listening to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into some of the world's most effective transformation processes. If you like this episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Transform It Forward is brought to you by Axway, who believes that in order to create the most value for customers, partners, and employees, you need to open everything by securely integrating and moving data across a complex world of old and new technologies.